0: Welcome to the Animal Rescue Podcast, which you've always wanted to know but didn't know who to ask. We will be talking with different people throughout the animal rescue world, finding answers to the questions you've been wondering. Cool. All right. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me um, to talk about training. I'm very excited. Um, training is kind of one of those big things that everyone hears about, but then there's so much out there and it gets really overwhelming. So definitely, this is great. So first, um, Rachel, thank you for being on the show. Thank you
1: so much for having me. I really appreciate you,
0: uh, considering us. Yeah. So first of all, I wanted to ask, how did you get started in training?
1: So I actually, 14 years ago, I left my corporate job and I went and worked at a dog daycare. And when I was working there, I started finding that the dogs that I gravitated to the most were the ones that were like getting kicked out. They were dogs who uh, were really sensitive or, you know, had special needs. And I started to find that a lot of these daycares, it was very, it was a very narrow path to success. Like only so many dogs could be successful in like the way that it was set up. Yeah. And so I really had this desire to create a pack that would be more inclusive and get the owners on board so that they could continue to have progress and success and not just like run into problems and like get kicked out of somewhere, um, but yeah. actually have like ongoing education and resources so that they can keep that dog fulfilled and happy in their home.
0: Yeah. So what, I know one of the big things that people talk about is like making a connection with your dog, how, and because that, I mean, that's it's kind of the first step toward getting them on board with training is totally. that connection. So how do you, what are your suggestions for that? I mean, if you're someone
1: who doesn't have a dog yet, choosing a compatible energy for you and your lifestyle is so major. A lot of times we tend to gravitate towards dogs that look a certain way or make us feel a certain way, but we're not necessarily considering like who the dog is as an, as an individual. And yeah what we can actually provide them fulfillment wise. And so, you know, if you could go back in time and and choose a dog (laughs) that's compatible for you, that'd be a great first step. (laughs) I mean, if you already have a dog and maybe you just want to develop more of an understanding of them, it's being able to look a little bit outside of the box and starting to look at, What is who is my dog genetically and what behaviors have they learned through experience and through nurturing and all the different things that they um, go through in life. Mm -hmm. And it's really finding the connection between those two things. Like, because so many people will be like, oh, well, I have a Husky and I have an, I live in an apartment and he's a psycho. And I'm like, well, (laughs) like a 30 minute walk twice a day for a Husky in an apartment is going to Uh -uh. be a nightmare for you. And you're probably going to have a hard time finding a genuine connection with your dog because you're just not able to provide the fulfillment that they need. Mm -hmm. So it's really just understanding the dog as an individual. um, and knowing that the dogs that you had before, they could be completely different than the dog you have now. A lot of times we meet owners and it's like, well, I had a Jack Russell, so I know all Jack Russells. And I'm like, right. you may have hit the genetic lottery last right. time, with you're like amazing Jack Russell, but this new dog was sent to you so that you could learn about yourself and learn about this dog. And then you yes. guys grow together.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, so can you talk a little bit about energy in training? Absolutely.
1: I mean, you know, when it comes down to it, there are so many different ways to train a dog, and. I think at the base of all of those, if you're not feeling good about what you're practicing with your dog, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of times we see these trainers who are like, this is my methodology and I want you to do my methodology calmly. And you're like, well, maybe maybe the way that you're teaching me isn't the way that I learn or the way that my dog learns. And so if I don't feel good about what I'm doing with my dog, the energy is going to be off for sure. Yeah. Um, like compiling that with, who am I as a human? And like, why was this dog brought to me? And can I step up to create uh, a a resource of information for my dog through Mm -hmm. my energy, through my behavior, my patterns? And, you know, we we hear so often, well, just be calm, just be calm, like it's Zen. Mm -hmm. And you you can't, you can't fake it until you make it, you know, you have to have a little bit of um, self-awareness of who am I as an individual, what am I working on and how is that gonna translate over to my dog? So a lot of times, you know, someone will come to me and they're like, my dog's a psycho. They can't, they can't sit in one place. And I'm like, well, when was the last time we meditated? <laughs> when was the last time we took a moment to do self-care and nurturing? You know, um, looking at all these little patterns that build our energy and finding healthy outlets to move through things as they happen. And not expecting perfection all the time as well. Like we're not robots, neither are our dogs. There's going to be days where you're going to get up and you're like, I have no patience. I don't want to do anything. (laughs) And you can either be resistant with yourself and with your dog, or you can just acknowledge, Hey, you know, I'm not feeling so good today. So I'm going to adjust expectations. And then we're going to plan something so that we can both be successful with where we're at.
0: Yes. That took me, that was the hardest thing for me to really come to terms with and learn was one, like you said, you can't fake it till you make it. You yeah. can't fake being calm. You can't fake being confident. Um, and so it's really, I've had to kind of take 12 steps back and start from the beginning and go, wait, if I just do this one skill with them yeah, and we master this one skill, Yes. Then we can both build our confidence. Totally.
1: And like as trainers, we do that over and over and over and over and over again. Like if we don't mm-hmm. have personal accountability and awareness yes. of like how we are changing, and you know, I still run into things where like I meet a dog and I've met thousands and thousands of dogs, and I'll meet this one dog where I'm like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that is so different. That is, yeah. I can't just like put that puzzle piece into the puzzle and it's just yep. going to work. Like I have to be willing to be flexible and, and move a bit differently, you know, depending on what's, what's happening in the present moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there are so many different, um, training methodologies and approaches and tools. Um, how does someone go about like navigating that?
1: You know, I think that comes back to, um, one, just getting to know your dog, like Mm -hmm. I see so frequently someone will be like, I have a super anxious dog. How can I like physically correct that? And you're like, that is not, oh, no. you do correct away anxiety. Um, <laughs> you need to think about, so like if a dog has an issue moving forward, like they're scared, then you need to add energy. You need to bring positive energy to help them feel better and bring more, be more confident. If you have a dog who's really emboldened and crazy, then we need to maybe diminish the drive a little bit or channel it in a different way. Um, and really just make sure that the dog is getting, you know, what they need at the end of the day still.
0: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about tools? I know there's a lot of, some people love them, like prong collars, e-collars, muzzles. Some people are absolutely against them. And I mean, I can, I, I see both sides of it. it, but just like with anything, it depends on how you're using it. Absolutely. You know, uh, I get
1: hundreds of questions about what leashes we use on our pack walks. And I'm like, guys, I can totally send you to the leash place, but it's not, gonna, it's not going to change anything. <laughs> like, right. uh, y- When it comes to tools, it comes back to the human again. What, what do you feel good using? What makes you feel confident when you're out with your dog? Like there's some people who I could hand them a slip lead. And as soon as their dog feels even a little bit of pressure, the human feels very uncomfortable. That's not going to be a good tool for you. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, you could like work through that. Maybe you need to work on like, why do I always want to keep my dog feeling from uncomfortable? What does that say about me? But also like, it's really important to, from a trainer standpoint, to pair an owner with the right tool for them and their dog. Like I don't just put the same tool on every dog for me, less is more. I would love to use the least amount of force pressure. Um, I want to, uh, allow dogs to move authentically without getting shut down or suppressed. And, you know, it tends to be that the more powerful that the tool is physically, the more it can shut dogs down, unfortunately, when they're Hmm. used improperly. And so when I'm going to an owner, I want to see the least. I want to, I want to be able to help them flow through things with the least amount of resistance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if I see someone who has a massive dog, that's really big and really physical. Every once in a great while, I might recommend a prong collar, but it's very rare because I don't want to teach someone to just physically manage the dog. I want to work on the emotional connection. And quite frankly, if you're only physically controlling your dog, you got way deeper problems going on. Um, So, you know, it's just really back to the individual case by case basis. Like this dog Mo is one of my old employee's dogs and she's here for the weekend. And I put her on a, on a halty because she is so drivey that it. I can use very little pressure to just gently guide her head. Instead of putting her on a slip lead that I use on hundreds of other dogs where she would be having all this tension, she mm-hmm. would be pulling, I would be getting tension and neither of us would be getting anything right. out of that. So, you know, I mean, my slip lead is always my go-to because for me, that's a leash that's not going to come off. It does give a little bit of pressure that you could guide and you can do, I like to use um, typically like a long line I'm using anywhere mm-hmm. between 10 and 15 feet on dogs because I want them to feel like they're off leash when they're on leash. Yeah. Um, but if I have someone who's like, Hey, I really want to learn to walk my dog on a harness. If I can help them do that successfully, I will totally do that. But if the harness is not right for that dog, I'm not going to BS them either. I'm going to be like, Hey, the harness seems like a great idea. There's like more straps. It feels like more control, but if your dog's mm-hmm. just pulling through it, then it's, it's not <laughs> doing what it's designed for.
0: Sure. So I want to go back to, you were talking about um, using the, the least restrictive tools possible so that you can have that emotional connection with your dog. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that emotional connection? Like how? Absolutely. If you don't know that you have that, or how do you go about getting that?
1: Sure. So you know, a lot of times we get people who come to us and they, they want to just like throw the leash on and like go out and do things with the dog on the leash. But the emotional connection is built in all the stuff at home, all these little things that we're doing. So like for me, when I go out into the world, I want my dog to know that I'm a source of information, that I'm trustworthy, that I'm sensitive and thoughtful and paying attention all the time. They need to know that I'm advocating for them. So when I'm at home, I have structure. I have routine. I am paying attention to how they move through different situations. I don't put them into situations that are beyond what they're capable of in the moment. I want to make sure that I'm responding to where the dog's at now. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I start building trust with my dog because they go, hey, you're not putting me in dangerous places. You're giving me information. You're making me feel good. I feel safe with you. Um, And little things like just the way your dog comes in and out of the crate, the way you give your food to your dog, um, is your dog invading your space? Like all these different little things throughout the day and throughout our like lives um, that all attribute to the things that we want to be able to like go to a cafe, to take our dogs Mm -hmm. on the trail, to go off leash at the beach. Um, Your dog knows when you're not present and when you're not showing up consistently and it shows up on the walk. The walk is like the great illuminator and it's just about creating some more thoughtfulness about what your dynamic is like. So if I come in and someone is like, wow, my dog's totally blowing me off on the leash. um, when we're out on the walk, I'm like, well, is your dog coming when called in the yard, when there's like no distractions, how do they feel about you? Do they have a reason to move away from you? Do they feel drawn to come towards you? If they are drawn to come towards you, is it in a balanced way? Are they obsessed with you? Like does their world shatter when you move away? These are all little things that we have to consider. And so When we go back to the idea of like, why did this dog come into my life? Something that like happened for me and like why I came in, like why I started working with dogs is because for me, it was like stability. And also to be perfectly real, it was because I liked control. If I just can control dogs, it makes me feel like this powerful badass and I can do anything. And that's all in the ego in the negative ego. It's not always a negative thing, but that is the negative ego. And so, it had to become illuminated to me through time and repetition. Why am I taking these dogs on? What am I actually trying to do? Is it about Mm -hmm. me? Is it about them? And so, you know, owners do this with like, I get a dog because I want connection actually with humans, but I can't have that. So I get a dog because the dog can't complain. They're they're just like, I take them (laughs) on and they're stuck with me. (laughs) Right. So, you know, yeah, it's just really um, creating some thoughtfulness about why did I, why did this dog come to me and what can I get out of us working together?
0: Mm -hmm. So is there a difference between recall and a dog just coming when called, or is it the same thing? Um, You know, that's a great question. And I would say
1: that So when someone says, my dog, if they're off the leash, will just leave, like Mm -hmm. they'll just bolt and run off. That to me says you're basically not a source of information and you're not someone worthy of, um, you're not providing something that's more valuable than what they're getting from the outside environment, right? So recall recall essentially is an obedience thing. Mm -hmm. Your dog just wanting to be near you and being connected to you emotionally, whether the leash is there or not maybe two different things, you can absolutely work on like reinforcing recall with, you know, positive association. When you come to me, it's a great time. Um, Yeah. and then you can also work the opposite way of when you go too far off, there's a consequence. Hey, you can't go that far. And if it, if you go that far, then I'm going to follow through by getting you and bringing you back to me and letting you know, this is where the hard boundary is. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like so many people, they think that recall is just teaching the skill, which is like, great. You can say, you know, come and your dog knows come. But if there's something that's more valuable than come for your dog Mm -hmm. out in the environment, it's not going to matter if like the, the, the obedience side, like you need to have the emotional connection.
0: I think you and I need to have a chat after this. I think, (laughs) I think I need to learn a little bit more about that emotional connection. (laughs) Um, Okay. So Let's see, Um, how can owners kind of temper down their high expectations when they're, maybe they adopt a new dog or they start training and they just think, I'm gonna get this fixed now. Like how can they kind of balance what they are, what they can get out of it? So like a comparison that
1: I always give is like, when you are starting a new fitness program and you wanna get that like chiseled ab look, Guess what? When you like eat clean for seven days and do your abs every day, you're probably still not going to see anything <laughs> on the seventh day. You're going to be like, wow, I have no abs. Right. But there's a realistic expectation that it takes time and repetition and that eventually you will get there. But there's like somehow this thing with dogs where we're like, oh, I like kind of tried for a little bit and didn't work. So eh. like, yeah. it's not going to happen. But it's like, no, um, the realistic expectation is it takes time. And based on the severity of the issue, it's going to take longer to you know, repair those things. And like going back to like, looking at what your specific issue is just being realistic time-wise. Like if I have a dog who is extremely shut down, they're going to need more than two weeks to settle into my environment. Sure. The internet will say, Oh, two weeks is like the decompression period. And then they'll be fine. Like it could be like six months. It could be two years, like depending on what your relationship is like and, and you know, what you're building upon, but getting to know your dog, uh, taking on one thing at a time, instead of trying to fix the whole picture, like (laughs) just honing in on little things. Well, you know what? I'd like my dog to just follow me through the doorways instead of just running into me and knocking me down. I want my dog to give me a little space. So I just work on that. And then you just build, 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 build. And then you will have that amazing dog. But if you go in and you're like thinking that two weeks of sit, come, stay and recall is going to fix everything. It just ain't going to do it. Your dog will learn some skills, but- it's not going to be like the end all be all.
0: Yeah. Okay. So how can we as pet owners break our bad habits that we have formed? So like letting the dog invade our space or what are things that we can start to work on within ourselves to start to to get into that position where we can build that relationship and build that trust?
1: The first step is always awareness. So like when I have someone who comes to me and they say, my dog has really bad separation anxiety. When I leave their world shatters, they are so sad. They cry. My neighbors call and complain. Like the very first question that I ask is how much affection are we giving and when are we giving it? And I will literally ask people, write down, mm-hmm. make a little check mark. How many times have I given my dog affection today? Just creating a bit of awareness and For the most extreme cases, I'll say, are you willing to not touch your dog for like a week to see how the behavior changes? And that's a really big ask because most of us love to touch our dogs and that's why we got them. (laughs) But if your dog has a really serious behavior problem that's stemming from what I like to call the affection addiction, Mm -hmm. your dog is like needing this thing that's actually a little bit unnatural. um, Yeah then we have to start looking at what are we doing to support that and mm-hmm. typically it's we need to practice intentional separation we need to have awareness of why we're touching our dog how we're feeling when we're touching our dog because that's the that's the direct link like yeah i'm crying and i'm sad and i touch my dog it's like a straw he's just sucking it up so then yeah. like, how does he move that energy like what does he do with that if i'm not providing him some type of fulfillment um it's going to start creating a really unhealthy dynamic of like, oh, I get this dog. So he makes me feel better. And it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, like that's, I, I get it, but also um, that can lead to a very un, a dissatisfied uh, stressed out dog who's taken on way more than they asked for. It's like, we get so many people who are like, yeah, I went to the shelter and I got a, I got a rescue dog and they're my therapy dog for my oh, like, no, fun with emotional issues. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that's like a, those dogs go for a program for like two years to, right. be able to support animals, like really legit ones. Yeah. You, know? um, you can't just like go and be like, I'm going to make you this. <laughs> just, you know, oh my goodness.
0: No. Yeah. I read somewhere that um, it was this an analogy of dogs with severe separation anxiety. It's it's because they feel like they need to take control of you. Like they are your protector and they need to look after you. So it's, totally. it's similar to if you have a toddler who is out in the front yard and you are locked in your house and you can see your toddler, but you can't do anything about it, what mm. would happen to you? You would get worked up. You would get stressed out. You can't protect them. So totally. when I read that, I went, oh, that, that that makes sense. It sure does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, can you talk a little bit about crate training? Um, I know for a while we, we were on the fence about crates and, Oh, it feels so, it feels like punishment, but we've kind of come to the point where no crate time is good.
1: Yeah. You know, um, a crate training is something that when I first started, I didn't create any dogs, I um, was totally against it I wasn't into it I was like that's that's stupid like that's for bad. that's for ba- that's for bad dogs. <laughs> <laughs> that's not for my dog. <laughs> and then I got a dog with really bad separation anxiety who like, outside of the crate she would literally. Um, dig down through my floors, like to the rafters, like to the, to the wood and nails. And I'd come home and she'd be bloodied and hurt herself. Um, There was a lot going on in that relationship where I was trying to get a lot of emotional fulfillment from this dog. We had, she had really bad separation anxiety. I made it worse. And then I didn't want to, I didn't want to implement any structure because I felt like the same thing, like it was going to punish her, Mm -hmm. but I was actually holding her back because of my emotional hangups. She was like, I'm so stressed. I need a break, you know, and the crate is so cool because if you associate it positively, then you can take that crate anywhere and your dog immediately has a safe place. Like, I feed meals in the crate, I give them treats and bones and make it mm-hmm. wonderful. We work with the crate door open first so the dog doesn't feel trapped in there. There's like a lot of different layers that you can build up that make it a really wonderful tool for your dog. Does every dog need to be crated? No. Um, there's lots of dogs that do just fine and are well adjusted, but I find that more recently, um, I don't know if it's like the breed over or different things that are going on, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of dogs that really do need a safe space, a place that is, um, free of the dangers of your home. When your dog's unmonitored, you're gone all day. Why not have the peace of mind that your dog has somewhere that's just for them. That makes them mm-hmm. feel good. Um, you know, every once in a while I do find dogs that have, uh, I'm trying to remember what the exact phrasing for it is, but it's basically like, it's a certain type of crate anxiety. That's way beyond what a normal dog like would go through. Like some dogs, Mm -hmm. they first get in the crate and they're like, I hate this. It sucks. Like you're away from me. I want you. I don't get it. Yeah. And you know, over time they get better with that. There's some dogs who literally would hurt themselves to get out of a crate because Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's like containment anxiety, basically. It's like, it's like a way deeper thing, which at that point, sometimes those dogs actually need to be like medicated or have a totally different game plan. But, Mm -hmm. For the most part, I do find the crates super helpful. It's just a nice structure and routine. It becomes very easy and matter of fact. Like, and it's just um, peace of mind for the owners and peace of yeah. mind for for me when dogs are staying over too to know that they're they're where they can be safe.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, I'm I. I kind of want to do that one week of no touching your dog to see what <laughs> happens. Um. Like it's just literally not giving them affection. Yeah. Just literally not giving them affection. You just feed them, walk them. Yeah. Just do your thing. And so there's like two ways you
1: can go about it. One, you can look at what am I feeling when I want to share affection with my dog and literally like take a log and like Mm -hmm. take a little journal. I was feeling like I wanted physical touch, especially in pandemic. Lord knows we all want some physical touch, you know? (laughs) So It's building awareness around what am I feeling? And then also getting a chance to see, does my dog's behavior change when they're getting Mm -hmm. less affection? Does it, do they feel differently about me? Do they feel differently on the leash? Um, Do they feel different in the environment? Some dogs are very affectionate and they do very well with lots of affection. Some dogs don't. Some dogs don't even like to be touched that much and we're just constantly inserting ourselves and they're like, this is a lot, you're smothering me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really just creating an opportunity to learn more a bit about yourself, why you're sharing the affection and a bit more about your dog. What are they getting from it and how is it actually impacting their behavior in the long run?
0: I'm excited about this challenge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a tough one. I actually um, had another trainer recommend it to me a few years back and I did it for two weeks and I was like, whoa, I I would just... um, I was shocked at how different my dog's behavior became. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say that you can't; it's just it's better to be intentional with your affection, and that's what it taught me. Is I went, oh, when I want to share affection, I call my dog over to me. I invite them into my space. Mm -hmm. I share the affection, and then I end it, and then I like let them go and do their thing, and just like Mm -hmm. changing the pattern of like my dog's here. Touch, 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 (laughs) touch. Like not thinking about what I'm thinking, what they're thinking, what's actually being supported in those moments.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Do you do like virtual sessions with people? You know, I,
1: I had not before, but it's definitely something that we're building upon. Um, especially with, you know, uh, the pandemic, just finding more resources to connect mm-hmm. with people that aren't yeah. in person. Um, we're on social media, we're on Instagram, the healing pack. And we also have our website, the Um, later in the year, we're actually developing some programs to create a full-on dog walking school that is completely online. So, and it's not going to be behavior base is going to be more about safety, about being yeah. consistent, creating routines, things like that to really help people, um not only uh dogs, but their uh dog walkers as well mm-hmm. to create a service that supports their clients' needs and um just creates more opportunities for people to have better people to take care of their dogs, like create a little yeah. bit of
0: consistency. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I will keep an eye out for that one. I love seeing the pictures of your pack walks on Instagram. Awesome. They Thank are you. fantastic. Yeah, we really um, we love what we do. We've put a
1: lot of work and thoughtfulness into trying to create the best experience for the dogs. You know, yeah. we we turn down way more dogs than we take on, and we actively find people the service that is right for them. So like when we yeah. go out and do an evaluation, if you're not the right if we're not the right fit for you, I will find you the right trainer. I will find you the right walker. I will find you someone that's perfect for you because that's what it's really about. Like right. there's so many dogs and there's so many wonderful people that have lots of different approaches and we're not going to be for everyone and that's totally okay and I'm so happy to be like the connecting energy between different people so more dogs can stay
0: in their homes and be happy. Yes. Oh my goodness, I love this so much thank you Rachel I appreciate your time I appreciate all of this amazing information and um, I hope to see you again soon thank you so much for having me thank you thank you for listening to this week's episode of the animal rescue podcast if you like what you hear please rate review and subscribe and tell your friends thank you